Hi, I'm K.S. Garner, and you've been listening to the Solo Nerdberg Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with the founder of Zerflin Design Studio, Benjamin Young Savage, here to discuss his latest designs, specialties, and services his studio has to offer. Welcome, Benjamin. Thank you for having me. Appreciate well, thank you for reaching out and uh, joining us today. But uh, outside my introduction, who is Benjamin Young Savage in his own words? Sure. So um, I'm a graphic artist. I've been doing um, I've been doing graphic design for the past gosh, it's 22 years now. Um, I grew up in a on a small uh, Native American reservation in northern Quebec, and I came down to Baltimore after I graduated um, from college in 2004, and um, fell in love with the city, and I've been here ever since. Pretty cool, pretty cool. So. What kind of art, I guess you already said in like graphic design pretty much, but what kind of art does Zerflin offer? Like what are the services and designs you specialize in? Sure. So my work is split up um, in two different ways. Uh, I am a visual artist. So all of the stuff that you see on the walls behind me, that's all um, visual fine art that I started making, I think around 2015 or so. Um, it's mostly like illustration, pop art based, a lot of portraiture, that kind of thing. Um, and then I also run a design studio, which is Zerflin. And um, the design studio primarily focuses on, uh, on branding and websites. Uh, we do a lot of posters. We do a lot of um, apps. Um, we've done uh, some publications, book publishing, those kinds of things. I'm currently working on... Um, a book cover for a client, uh, a sci-fi author, which is a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, we do uh, a lot of different stuff. We have um, a number of people that work under the under the Zerfle name. It's kind of a sort of like a collective. Um, we've got illustrators and coders and um, copywriters, uh, a whole gamut of, of talent. And we come together for various projects. Uh-huh. So where did the idea about opening your own studio come from? Like, did you work for a, another company before and then you decided, hey, I'm just going to go out on my own and we'll just figure it out as I go. Because, you know, I, you may have learned some stuff from there, but mm-hmm. opening up your own studio was completely different. It is. Or this is something you just went straight as soon as you, you know, went out professionally, uh, I guess from out of school and started your own professional career, you just went straight into a studio. So I actually started... Uh, the studio while I was in college. Um, during my second year of college, I originally went to school uh, for um, engineering. I wanted to do, I wanted to build robots for NASA. And um, I switched majors my second year. And of course, like, you know, I talked to my parents and they're like, hey, that's cool. We're proud of you. But, you know, you should know that all your scholarships and all your funding is going to run out in two years. So whatever you do, make sure you get it done in two years or else, you know, your funding is going to run out. So I had to graduate and and finish the entire um, four-year program for the graphic arts in two years. And while I was, um, when I first started the transfer, uh, I talked to a lot of my professors and they're like, you got a lot of work ahead of you. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need to build that portfolio and do everything possible so that you can have the biggest portfolio you can. So take on as many different projects as you possibly can. So 
when I was sitting in these graphic design classes, um, they would, you know, throw out projects. They would be like, hey, make up a, a, a company and um, design a business card for it, you know? And um, I was like, well, instead of making up a company, let me go out and find a real company that needs business cards and turn that in for classwork and actually build, you know, the portfolio of actual client work instead of just classwork. So I did that and started building the company um, from there. Uh, had a decent sized client base by the time that I graduated full of work that I also turned in for classwork. Mm -hmm. And um, and once I got out of college, uh, I worked a bunch of different jobs. I worked as a uh, arts and computers teacher um, through the AmeriCorps program. I worked as a photographer and I also worked at a, at a print shop. That was my first design job, but I still kept running the agency and doing my own side client work um, on the side. I just knew that it wasn't, there wasn't enough clientele and there wasn't enough work to actually support myself. So I kept doing the Zerflin on the, on the side until about um, 2012, 2013. So for, you know, a good 10 years, um, it was, you know, me working the nine to five and then coming home, staying up late, doing all the projects. Um, once I knew that I had enough income to support a couple of the other workers at Zerfund, then I knew that I could actually like cut out and, and um, leave the nine to five and do this full time. So I've been doing this full time probably since about 2014. Mm -hmm. So I guess, did you always know in the back of your mind while you were working, I guess, for like a, pretty much like a decade doing, you know, photography jobs or computer science jobs, whatever it may be that you can, you know, obtain money or earn money to, to support yourself while still working with um, Zerflin to get that off the ground? Did you always know in the back of your mind, like it was always going to work out or was there ever any like doubt with opening your own place? Well, you know, what I realized, so I built the company without any debt. Um, we don't have any debt whatsoever. Um, all of our bills are um, are paid for out of a, a savings fund that we have. Um, and so there's, there's no kind of borrowing or lending uh, that we have done, no credit cards. Um, so everything, um, all of the profits uh, pretty much get cycled back through the company, except for, you know, paying the workers themselves. And I knew that as an, as an idea, as a concept, the design agency would never go away because, you know, even if I ran out of all my money, I could still find a new client, book a new job and start it up again. So there wasn't really that fear that, you know, it was ever going to go away. I just didn't know when exactly it was going to support me full time. And, you know, <laughs> we're in the same age bracket. We've been through what, two, three recessions. And so there was always that crazy, like economic stuff that was happening in the country. And I'm like, I don't know when this is ever going to happen, but as long as I keep the idea, it's never really going to go away. And as long as I'm not going into debt, you know, I can always, always do this on the side. Now, I also got jobs at various design agencies that really helped me. There was a big, big agency 
down near DC called um, Merrick Toll. Right before the housing market crashed, um, I worked for them. They did a lot of work for housing for like condo developers and, and uh, single family home builders and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, after I stopped working at the, at the print shop, um, I made it a mission to work in design departments and design agencies from then on so that whatever nine to five that I was doing, I was also educating myself on how to run an agency of my own because I knew that, you know, I didn't go to, to business school or anything like that. But I, so I had to learn all of this stuff hands-on and, you know, make friends with the owners of those companies and, you know, really pick their brain. And I was always up front with them. I was like, listen, my goal is to own my own agency at some point. How did you get started? What did you do? How did you achieve what you have achieved? You know, what is that kind of thing? And, and not as a competition kind of a thing, but as a collaborative thing. A lot of the, um, the bosses and, and coworkers that I've had over the years are now my own clients. You know, a lot of them come back to me and they're like, hey, we've got this big project. We can't handle it in our agency. Can we bring some of your people on board? And we just work together. Mm -hmm. So could you, I guess, elaborate a bit more on your creative process? So a customer comes in or they get in contact with you about a design that they want. So maybe a design for an advertisement or a portrait or even um, the big thing now are um, NFTs. So where do you go from there when they contact you about a design? So typically I need to break down a couple different things. I need to figure out, um, I need to figure out the concept that they have um, and how much creative freedom that they're going to give me, how much, how much uh, direction that they're going to give and how much freedom I'm going to have. There's always that balance. Um, I need to figure out their budget because can't work for free. Um, but also the budget really helps me uh, understand how serious they are about their project. Um, and, you know, some projects don't come with a budget. Some projects they're like, I don't even know where to start. And so I, I'll walk them through, you know, various options to say, okay, well, you know, if we get something that's this complicated, you know, this would be the price. But, you know, if you have something that's this complicated, we can do this. Um, most of the time, I'm given a budget and we work out internally, you know, what different things we can do with that budget and how um, we can break all those things down. Once all those things are done, um, that's when we go into the inspiration phase. Um, I use Pinterest a lot um, and we'll just go into this brainstorming phase, phase where we'll just uh, think of every kind of imagery and every kind of um, uh, verbal communicative direction, anything, videos, we'll just throw it all into a pile and, and kind of swim in that for a while and just kind of be like, okay, like, what is the visual aesthetic that you're actually going for? What kind of mood do you want to, do you want to portray? What kind of things do you want to say to your clientele and to your customers? Um, Zerflin has always been about, you know, telling other people's stories for them in a, in a communicative way. Um, and that's hard for some people when they come in as a client because they're not used to uh, talking about their service as a story. They're, you know, good at whatever it is that they do, whether it's being a, a musician or making shoes or running a cafe. They're 
talent is on those things. Their talent is not necessarily on, you know, how to make the, the branding work perfectly or how to communicate and um, make sure that their clientels are, are experiencing the kind of mood that they want when they walk into their establishment. They leave that kind of stuff up to us. And so what we do is we have this creative session where we just sit down and it's kind of a melding of the minds where we try to figure out, okay, what is it that you're really, really good at? And how can we tell that story to the wider world so that everybody else knows about it? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it sounds similar to when you do um, the portraits of particular celebrities I read on your website about how um, you try to um, find a, you, you'll do the portrait of them but, but it's a younger picture of them, maybe like in yeah. their early 20s or 30s, what have you. Just, I guess, to relate more to them and see them as a peer versus then the, what they grew to be, whereas, you know, they're more on our level, which I thought was really interesting. Is that, I guess it's something similar you're trying to achieve with, with a client. Like, hey, you have to find a way of telling a story of your business or your services or your talent in order for whomever... Um, who wants to, I guess, patronize your business can connect with you in a way. That's right. I mean, whenever there's a, a company or, or organization, whenever you have like a brick and mortar building that you have to walk into to buy something, there's always this little bit of trepidation that customers have because they don't know anything about you. They don't know, you know, if you're going to screw them over, they don't know the quality of your product. They don't know anything about you. And so, um, a brander and a graphic artist's job is to make that transition uh, more seamless so that they feel comfortable walking into your space and buying and getting what they need to get, um, using your services, whatever it is that, that they need that you provide, and making sure that that marriage happens. Um, graphic artists are really like, you know, that friend, that wingman who will follow you around the bar or, you know, at the networking event and being like, y'all need to know each other. You do this and they need that and y'all need to talk. That's what we do, but we have to do it in such a way that is not going to freak out the potential client and also, you know, do it in a way that's honest to the person that we're representing as well. You know, they're, almost everybody that comes to us is ridiculously talented in a specific number of ways. And we have to communicate that and let the customers know that, you know, they're welcome here and that they're going to get, be given really good service. Uh-huh. Has there ever been a time where you had to reject a commission? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. All the time. Um, and there's a bunch of different ways you can reject people. Um, I, I, I think it's important not to um, burn bridges. I think it's important to um, let people down softly. <laughs> but you know, there there are certain projects and and clientele that don't necessarily jive with uh, what I believe in and what I stand for. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm also in addition to uh, you know making art and running a business. You know, I also do a lot of um, activism work. Um, You know, you talked a a little bit earlier about how you didn't really see people going out and making podcasts about what was happening in Baltimore. The same kind of thing happened to me back in um, uh, 2015 when Freddie Gray was killed. Um, I was seeing a lot of stuff on the news um, talking about what was happening in my city 
and it didn't really reflect what I was hearing from my friends who were also out on the streets. And so I was like, the news isn't getting it right. There's stuff happening in the city that like they're not picking up. And so I started going out with my own camera. I'm, you know, I'm trained as a photographer and I would go out and I would document and I would post um, on Twitter uh, live um, photojournalism every single day being like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And, um, you know, just, just doing a little bit of uh, amateur journalism. Mm-hmm. Because of that, you know, I got a lot more active in the, the Baltimore activist community. I was, in, I was involved in activism back when I was um, in college as well. But, you know, I really got plugged into the community a lot more, just being out on the streets every single day, taking photos, meeting with people, helping people, cleaning things up, whatever. Um, and, you know, started getting a lot more outspoken. Consequently, you know, <laughs> Uh, I had some clients who were like, mm, we don't really believe in all that activism stuff you're doing. We're going to take our business elsewhere. And so I was like, okay, listen, if you can't, if you can't, you know, stand by the beliefs that I have that like, you know, LGBTQ lives matter, black lives matter, you know, that the police are really doing a lot of damage here in Baltimore, like, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. I will find other clients. And that was hard because, you know, it's messing with my money, it's messing with my bag. Um, But um, ultimately, new clients came in who saw the work that I was doing and were like, we want to hire you because we actually, you get it, like you, you understand, you know, the stuff that's, that's happening. And and we appreciate that. We don't want to hire just some graphic designer drone who's just going to um build us whatever we want somebody who actually understands uh the culture of baltimore and the things that are happening here um because of that and because of um because of this graph that i made uh this is a t-shirt um i don't know if you can see it very well but this graph is called but slavery was so long ago i was hired by a, a lady in florida who um would decorate her um cubicle every February for um, Black History Month. And she got tired of her coworkers coming up and being like, hey, you know, um, slavery was so long ago. Why are you making such a big deal about it? Like, why can't you just let it go? And so I designed this um, graphic as a tattoo to go around her wrist so she could show exactly how long slavery and segregation was. that ended up blowing up. It became a, a t-shirt graphic. Um, Snoop has shared it. T.I., Willow, Jada have all shared it on their social media. But because of that work and because of that activism work, um, I started getting in uh, different jobs. And last year, I was hired by the Baltimore City Health Department to manage all of their graphics around COVID and all of their social media. So I handled all of that stuff um, because the people at the health department saw this graph and were like, that's a very complicated concept that's represented very simply. And that's the kind of stuff that we need for the health department. COVID is complicated. We need it represented in graphic ways that people are going to get. And so they hired me because of that. But yeah, you know, I've turned down jobs. Um, (laughs) I remember back when... um, Remember back when Ben Carson ran for president? 
Yes. He, his, his team actually reached out to me because they'd seen the the you know the illustrative portraiture work that I did, and they wanted me to draw him in that style. They wanted me to do like a heroic, you know, da 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 poster of Van Carson, and I was like, you know, what I what I did was I just priced them out. I just <laughs> I gave them some astronomical price, and I was like, you know, this this is what it would cost to make this one graphic, and they're like. Oh yeah, we can't afford that. I'm like, yeah, that's that's probably a good move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe I guess maybe you would have considered it before. Then maybe if you did like if they asked maybe five years before because he's known yeah. as you know world renowned. Yeah, there was there then, was a rapid there was a rapid change. So like you know, he was a hero here in Baltimore. You know, yeah, book. Um, a lot of parents were you know really looking up to him and you know using him as an example of of what can happen to you know uh, a young man growing up in Baltimore and he had a lot of really amazing stories and a lot of really amazing stuff and when they came to me it was just after that he had started his campaign and he had started to say some like really really questionable stuff about like poverty and about you know where he grew up and like people in Baltimore were like sitting back and being like why are you why are you saying like you grew up here like why would you even say that stuff exactly it was already like you know putting out some some weird stuff so I even even by the time they contact me I knew like no nah, I can't I can't work with them I can't I can't do this project uh-huh. so speaking of pricing someone out as as an artist not as a business not as a businessman because as a businessman you could justify your charges like give a laundry list of it right but as an artist how did you justify your pricing to not only your clients but to yourself like that you are worth that you your work and the work that your employees that work there as well are worth this amount of uh, worth this amount of money Pricing artwork is probably one of the hardest things that I've had to do because, you know, it's just me. It's just, you know, I'm sitting there drawing these things and producing them and trying to figure out, you know, how much do I write on the sticker that goes on the wall in the gallery? Like, that's really, really hard to do. Um, But what I did was I started taking it from the perspective of, you know, running my design agency. So, you know, breaking it down. How many hours did it take me? How, what did I spend on the materials making this piece? Um, how much do I want to get paid an hour if I'm doing this kind of stuff? And that gave me some frame of reference uh, of how to sell and price these pieces. However, um, I also like want the art in people's homes. Like I don't want it sitting on my shelves and, and just hanging in my house. I want people to be enjoying it. So um, ultimately what I decided to do was to make additions. So for example, um, I've got this piece here. This is um, Terrell Suggs. He played for uh, the Ravens for a while. Um, Amazing football player, really funny dude. Um, And I drew this by hand and then I um, went over it in Illustrator and what that gives me is a digital file. 
and I have this printed out on canvas and stretched around a frame. Um, but I could make as many of these as I want. But if I made as many of these as I wanted, that would kind of like decrease the value in them a bit. So what I decided to do was make them as additions. So um, I only print out 10 of each piece and then they're gone forever and I sell them by size. So this is a 16 by 16 canvas piece. And so I just add a zero and it's $160, which is not a lot. Like when you go to a gallery, like usually you're looking at stuff and it's like $3,000, $4,000 on the wall, but um, I'm selling 10 of these. And so 10 times 160, and that gives me roughly the price of like, you know, what people put on the galleries. But what it also does is it makes sure that people are able to buy these who might not necessarily have a lot of money and have them in their homes. And, you know, that's ultimately what I want. I want these things in people's homes. I don't, you know, really care to like, you know, it's not a, a money making venture. It's something that I'm doing for fun. Yeah. And I saw on your website that you it's a set price for just the drawing itself. And then you can have it printed out on the canvases, like you just said, and it's various um, sizes as well. And I think that works because if somebody wants a drawing, right, and they get like a digital copy of it, and then that's it, and they may just try like share it amongst whoever and put it up anywhere, you still kind of get your money's worth from exactly. it. And then um, printing it out is something additional that they could do. Yep. And so, I have a lot of people just come to me and they're just like, you know, can you just do my portrait because I want a better LinkedIn profile picture? Mm -hmm. You know, I want something that looks creative, but also professional. Um, and I'm not going to print it out anywhere, but, you know, would you do that for me? And I'm like, sure, you know, you shouldn't have to um, break your bank just to have something nice, a portrait of you that you're going to share on social media. But if you want to go ahead and like, you know, send it to your mom and your uncle and your grandparents and you'd be like hey i got this really cool portrait done of me you know this is for you for christmas you know that should cost a little more i think mm -hmm, exactly so with, i guess with everything that you've learned thus far um what advice would you offer to other creators that you wish someone would have told you when you first started yeah you know what i wish i'd been told i wish i'd been told that the uh the degree isn't worth anything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's me too. I actually, I actually uh, majored in graphic design as well, and you just work so hard for it. Yeah, but nothing for it to really not mean anything. In, in 20, the 20 years of working, I've never been asked what my degree was in. Never been asked where I went to school. Nobody cares. What they no. care about is your portfolio. That's the most important thing. Um, so I think what I would have done differently is not paid out the nose for my education. And I would have audited classes. You can audit almost any class for free. You talk to the admissions office and you say, hey, you know, I'm taking a break and I don't want any credit for the class, but I want to go to it. And I want to audit it. And basically what they'll do is they'll register you, register you as um, auditing the class. You do all the same tests and assignments as everybody else in the class, but you don't get academic credit for it. 
that's fine. The academic credit doesn't matter. Nobody cares about my degree. All they care about is that I know what I'm doing and that I have a portfolio to back it up. And so I think that's what I probably would have done. Um, still go to class, still make all the connections in the class, you know, still learn everything that I need to learn. But, you know, I'm still paying my student loans and that's ridiculous. So, I mean, you still have to pay for that, right? You still have to pay to take the class? The audit? No? Auditing it. Nope. Oh, wow. I've never heard of that before. You can audit any, you can audit for free any class from any college. You can audit uh, classes at Harvard right now. They have a program. You can sign up online, audit any class and, you know, sit through any lecture, do all the work. You just won't get any credit for it. You'll learn. You just won't get any credit for it. I've never heard of that ever in my entire life. And now it just makes me yeah. more mad. <laughs> yeah. It's infuriating because like, you know, I paid somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, thirty-five, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year for four years. Mm -hmm. That's the cost of a house in Baltimore. Like, come on, like. It's just, I'm just, it just makes me angry that I have a degree that I'm not using in a way. Like, I mean, I have, I, now, that's I not learned true. some stuff, but like, that's I could have learned it from you. You're still using your degree. Yeah, I'm still using it, but like. The stuff that you learned, the stuff that I learned, I'm using it every single day. You know, all of the, all of the, um, the technical stuff that I learned. Um, like I said, you know, I, I had those those classes where, you know, I made business cards, all those things were incredibly useful and got me to be where I am today. But if I had known that there was a less expensive way to do it, I probably would have done it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But um, I guess throughout this whole process, throughout your whole journey of everything, did it ever get overwhelming or does it ever get overwhelming, especially like juggling the studio and then home life and then trying to have a social life, whatever you can, wherever they can fit in at, um, like, does it ever become too much? Like, how do you typically manage your mental well-being? Um, yeah, it definitely becomes too much. Um, I definitely burnt myself out. I've got two kids. Um, I was married up until four years ago. Um, it was absolutely too much and um what made it too much uh were the recessions mm -hmm. the economic downturns um you know i got uh salary cuts from my nine to fives um the cost of just living the mortgage the grocery bills the gas everything has gone up since i've gone out of college and there has been no relief and that did absolute chaos on my mental health. Mm -hmm. um, I came from a family that um, kind of poo-pooed mental health. They didn't really like, you know, they didn't really think it was serious. You know, my parents would make jokes about, you know, crazy people going to the crazy house and all that kind of stuff. Like it wasn't really something that, that people um, that I was growing up with took seriously. And so it was a long journey for me to start taking care of my own mental health and unlearning a lot about um, the stuff that I grew up with. And so uh, once I finally started going to therapy, once I finally started taking care of myself, that's when, you know, things started really balancing out for me. And I was like, oh, you mean I could have done this years ago? 
I could have been taking care of these things years ago. Um, it's made me into a, a much better person. It's made me into uh, someone who can see more clearly. But yeah, um, working this uh, will absolutely drive you crazy. Um, what I would recommend um, is setting limits for yourself. You know, one of the things that I did when I got out of college was I never said no to any client. So whatever they asked me, whatever they you know needed me to do, um, even if I didn't know how to do it, I always said yes, and I never said no. And that wasn't always the smartest thing. It built the business, sure, but it wasn't always the smartest thing because um, it meant that I was burning the midnight oil trying to figure out you know a new technique in web design that I had never learned before just so I could, you know, do it for that client. And I learned a lot and I was able to, you know, then do that for other customers, but, you know, it burnt me out so much. Um, and because I wasn't taking care of my own mental health and because I wasn't setting boundaries for myself, that ultimately burned me out really, really badly. And I had to suffer the consequences and, you know, recover from that. Yeah, I had to learn something similar to that when, um, I was working full time and then I started pursuing this and then my writing as well is that I guess since we, you know, ever since we were kids and then, you know, going into school and college and whatnot, and then into our adult professional lives is that we always have to have, we always have to be doing something, you know, laying around is you consider lazy instead of resting. So you kind of have to, unlearn and then relearn yes. what it is to actually live your life like you can be productive but like productivity doesn't mean um actually doing anything like resting can be productive to yeah. what you may have to do later and um the tasks you have to do and then in your relationships as well because nobody wants somebody who's moody nobody wants to hang out with a yep. moody person all the time right so you kind of just have to you know, as you said, set limits. So like with scheduling with people and, you know, hanging out with friends and taking time out for myself as well, you kind of just have to figure it out in a way, which I've learned working for myself because with a nine to five, they kind of have all this stuff already figured out for you in a way, but it, that's their time that you kind of have to do what they want you to do versus when you go out on your own you kind of have to fill we learned you have to fill in the time in Mm -hmm. in a way like it doesn't take eight hours to do this job but you feel like it has to in a way right and that's just with the work that's not even with the stuff outside of work as I said like your family life and your friends Mm -hmm. and taking care of yourself so yeah setting limits and unlearning and relearning how to really live your life learning how to rest and relax was, was really difficult for me. I, I fully threw myself into that, you know, whole hustle mentality where you just like, you know, you push through and you grind and you make it happen. And, you know, it's all up to you. That's not sustainable. You can do that for a short period of time and mm-hmm. then you're going to burn out. Um, and yes, it will seem like you are getting ahead at the time because you're pushing through and you're, you know, you're staying up and you're making sure that you're getting everything done, but you're going to pay for that later. If you're not resting and making sure that you are balancing things out, you're absolutely going to pay for that later in terms of crashing and burning or like sleeping 14 hours on the weekend, like you're going to burn out at some point. And so building that balance, like I bought myself a hammock, like I didn't know how to relax. 
at all. Like relaxing just made me kind of jumpy. I feel like, uh, and especially since I make art, I felt like, oh, I got to be creating something. I got to be doing something. I got to be writing something. I got to be, you know, building something and just relaxing and um, staring at the clouds was something that like was so foreign to me and felt so wrong that I had to like relearn how to do that. The other thing that I realized was that, you know, um, the eight hours a day, 40 hours a week thing that you were talking about wasn't built for the society that we live in now. Mm -hmm. um, when unions were being formed and they were fighting for the 40 hour work week and the eight hour work day, those were built on the supposition of a patriarchal mindset where there was another adult at home taking care of the house while you were at work. Mm -hmm. The man was at work, the woman was at home. And so that 40 hour work week was based on the assumption that everything else was being taken care of by another person who was not paid, taking care of the kids, making sure the house is in order, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, that's not the society that we live in today. We don't live in a place where, you know, we have another adult who's just at home taking care of the house. So to expect all of us to be able to work 40 hours and also take care of a household and take care of everything else that we have to do in our lives is just not sustainable. It's mm -hmm. not reasonable. And, you know, I think that especially during COVID, people are waking up and realizing that um, there's a lot of things that are broken about the system that we live in, um, you know, forcing people uh, to come back to work when they could be doing everything remotely and at home, uh, forcing people to be in front of their screens for eight hours a day. That's not feasible. And, you know, most office workers will tell you they're not even doing productive things during the majority of the time that they're at their desks in the office anyway. And so, like, I really think that we need to um, rethink about, you know, how work works and how our understanding of work is just not compatible with uh, the lives that we actually live. You know, we need to be able to um, have time to rest. We need to be able to have time to clean the house. We need to have time to do the laundry and everything else that we need to do, pay the bills. And we should be paid fairly for those things. We shouldn't have to like work three jobs just to pay for an apartment. That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So my last question for you, Benjamin, is what is your idea of success? So I ask that because as creators, if we're not getting regular paychecks from a full-time job or making consistent revenue from our art, we're considered failures or we'll consider ourselves failures. Yeah. Many of us will put our dreams and projects on a back burner or give them up altogether because this career path can be highly intimidating and uh, competitive. So what is your idea of quote unquote success? I had to reorganize what my idea of success was back in college. And that's ultimately why I switched majors. Um, I was sitting in the back of a, a circuits class with a bunch of my friends. The teacher was so boring. And we were passing around a sheet of paper and we were drawing little Christmas lights on it. It was right before Christmas break. And each of us would draw a Christmas light and then pass it on to the next person. It came around to me. I grabbed my pencils. I drew a little Christmas light and passed it to my friend Erica. Erica took a look at the light bulb and she's like, what are you doing here? I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you just drew a, a Christmas light bulb 
and you put highlights and shading all over. I feel like I could pick it up off the page. Why are you in this engineering class when you clearly have talents elsewhere? So that started me thinking like, okay, maybe I do have talents elsewhere. Like, you know, and it started the wheels turning my head. Uh, the next class that I had was a math class and the math teacher walked in and she just started giving us this lecture, not about math, but she was like, listen, uh, if any of you were in here and you really don't love the thing that you're doing, quit, get out of this class, go do something else, do something that you're going to love. Because she said, listen, if you're, if you get a job where you're doing this stuff and you hate the work that you're doing, your life is going to be awful. So find something that you really, really enjoy and go study that instead. And I really took that to heart. Um, I realized I've been doing like little graphic design stuff for friends and for different student organizations. And I was like, I would do this for free. This is fun. I love doing this. I get energy doing this. Um, and so ultimately, you know, that's what led me to switch majors because my idea of success shifted. I realized that if I graduated uh, and got an engineering job and I wasn't paid a ridiculous amount of money that I'd be miserable, mm -hmm. you know? The money would offset. The money would make things better. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, I would do graphic design no matter what I got paid because I like it. It's fun. I love doing it. And that's also what, you know, um, made the, the tedium of staying up late after the nine to five to do my own agency worth it because, you know, graphic design and art was my therapy for a while before I actually got to real therapy you know, this was where I found peace and where I was able to calm down and, and relieve this, a lot of the stress that I was feeling, you know, working these nine to fives with uh, not a whole lot of compensation. So, yeah, I love what I do. And, you know, being able to do that day in, day out is my idea of success. Yeah, I have to, my idea of success, um, I remember talking to um, someone, his name is Patrick Lugo, and he said it's like, it's fluid in a way. I guess it changes throughout your throughout your life. Um, yeah, money would help a lot with you know bills and and whatnot. You know, wanting to do what you want to do, but being it's not worth it if you're miserable. Yep. Pretty much, you know. Like I I left my nine to five, and I mean I was making, I mean I guess above minimum wage which was nice I've been working there for like five years but like they had me doing all kinds of stuff and like I said I was miserable having you know panic attacks not wanting to go into work and you know I can attend all the therapy sessions I want to and they they may try to put me on medication but it's like eventually I'm going to have to change the environment as well exactly. so I guess for me it's it's if I'm getting anything out of it, as far as like learning anything or making some type of connection with somebody, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to pertain to work or anything like that. But like, if I have some type of connection with you that would make me want to stay in a way um, is successful to me. And again, it doesn't have to be work and be, it can be successful in life right. in a way. Um, and what I'm learning now is that there's a difference between purpose and meaning. So just because you don't have a purpose in your life, like right now, or you may never have one, doesn't mean your life doesn't mean anything. Right. So you kind of can just 
exist like if you want to just coast through life and it makes you happy then that's okay and if you want to work and to be a millionaire or billionaire and that makes you happy then I think that's okay too you know it's just it all just depends on your life and what makes you happy um so yeah I think I'm rambling I don't know where, where my no, thought no, is going I, think, this. I think that's good <laughs> I think that you know there are different levels of success you know and there are different things that apply for different areas of your life you know feeling successful in your business versus feeling successful in your home life versus feeling successful with your friends or you know for me like the activism community or you know even with my art all of those have different metrics and different ways to measure success Mm -hmm. but you know for me ultimately what it boils down to is you know is it improving me is it helping me grow Mm -hmm. is it um something that I love and enjoy is it something that I'm connecting with people like you said you know am I connecting with with cool people like doing this show you know this is something that you know I wanted to do because you seem like cool people and I want to do like make that connection um but all of those different things are are different measures of success and I think the lie that we tell ourselves to be complacent sometimes is we'll put like one metric of success on a really horrible situation, you know? So we'll be like working at this like really terrible job, you know, that doesn't pay a whole lot, that has stupid hours, that like has you going in sitting under fluorescent lights, but then we'll be like, yeah, but I'm meeting cool people and I like who I work with, you know? And like, yes, yes, but you're also miserable. So like, don't use that one metric of success to justify like this entire thing. Make sure that you're looking at it from a broad angle and really, you know, decide if that place is really edifying for you, if it's really something that's, you know, helping you and giving you peace and helping you grow, so. Yep. Um, Well, is there anything else that you want to touch on about um, Zerflin that I may have missed? Um, Are you actually open to commissions now from new clients? Yep, so I'm open for commissions with my artwork. Um, I'm taking on new clients um, for the design agency. Uh, I just started a new branding project that I'm really excited about. We're going to be doing a a brand for a fund that's going to help um, areas of the world that are struggling with uh, type 1 diabetes. So Mm -hmm. we're building this uh, infrastructure, which is going to allow communities around the world to kind of use those funds uh, the way they need to. Um, it's a really neat idea because a lot of nonprofits and stuff, they'll come in and they'll be like, Hey, you know, we, we're going to give you this amount of money to, you know, help your community, but you have to use it in such and such a way. And you have to use a certain percentage on this and that, and this fund is not doing any of that. They're just like, you know, you need trucks to get people medicine, buy the trucks with this money. You need, uh, to get people food so that they have nutritional meals so that their diabetes isn't as bad by the food. It's, it's really cool. It's a really flexible thing. So that's going to be working on next, but yeah, um, hit me up. There's two different websites. There's art.zerflin.com. That is my art website. It's full of commissions and art and everything else. And then there's regular zerflin.com. That's the design agency. That's where I have all of the advertising work that I do, the branding and the websites and everything else. All right. And um, I believe you have a Patreon too, right? Yes, I have a Patreon. So uh, the Patreon is actually what helped me get these shirts made because um, back when I started, I didn't have a whole lot of money. And, 
you need a lot of money to like start making shirts and like build an inventory and all that kind of stuff. So um, I have a Patreon and what I use the Patreon for is basically uh, an art distribution service. So when you sign up for the Patreon, based on what level you get, once a year, I'll send you all kinds of stuff that I've made that year. So you get to pick out a canvas, you get to pick out um, posters, you get a t-shirt in the mail, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's basically just a way for me to, you know, have people subscribe and be able to send them out the latest stuff that I've made, you know, over the past year. So yeah, I use it as a, like an art subscription service. Yeah, it sounds really cool. All right, well, again, I want to thank the founder of Zerflin Design Studio, Benjamin Young Savage, for joining us here today to discuss his latest designs, specialties, and services his studio has to offer. I highly recommend our listeners to consider giving Ben's a portfolio a look on Zerflin's website, what he just described. All of Benjamin's socials and website will be listed in this episode's details for those who are interested. Again, I am K.S. Garner, and you have been listening to the Solo Nervic Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you.